burst of the, the uh, more developed economies to do so. So, yeah, I think it's, it's definitely uh, an area which will be watched more closely by the market. Uh, it, it was the first time bonds have been back up over 1.4 in the 10 years since July. So not insignificant, the move overnight. And mm. I think it was more driven by um, those moves in Europe than it was necessarily by what was happening to the Fed. How much do you think uh, the China Evergrande situation is an issue for markets outside of China itself and, and, and the Hong Kong markets? I sense that uh, there's a lot of differences in this one in so much as it seems to be contained um, in China, um, more so because of, of the nature of how the debt arrangements are backed by local uh, financiers, more so, even though there's quite a lot of large US bondholders. On Evergrande, um, and also the difference between, I guess, that the debt is backed by real assets as opposed to financial assets, uh, which you know draws the comparison to the Lehman crisis. Um, and so restructuring is probably driven uh, is probably palatable in terms of debt repayment schedules. One driven by government support, and two probably by the capacity of these uh, these loans being backed by real assets. So I think it's slightly more contained. Um, having said that, you know it's not over. I think at the moment uh, it's in containment. Uh, but the market will be watching closely. And I just think that people see it more of a China story rather than uh, something that could reach uh, world uh, contagion levels. Toby, thanks very much indeed. Have a great weekend. That's Toby Lawson, the CEO of Society General in India. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. A final look at the markets for this week. In Australia, the SX200 is slipping a quarter of a percent. Uh, Japanese stocks are playing catch-up after the holiday yesterday. The Nikkei 225 up about 2%. Uh, the Cosby in South Korea up about a quarter of a percent. And futures markets indicating just a very small gain of about 0.1% for the Hang Seng at the open. Brent crude oil is slightly lower, $77.29 a barrel. Gold is firmer this morning at $1,749 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening this week. Do have a great weekend. Please join me again uh, on Monday morning for, uh, for Money Talk. I'll be back then. Um, and stay tuned for Back Chats with Jim Gordon, and Jenny Lamb in just a moment. The weather forecast, mainly cloudy, a few showers and isolated thunderstorms. The maximum temperature is going to be about 31 degrees. The outlook, sunny intervals and a few showers during the weekend. And then going to become fine and very hot early to midweek next week. The temperature right now, 29 degrees, 79% relative humidity. 8.32, here's Barry O'Rourke with the half-hour news. The hospital authority says managers who want to keep working beyond the usual retirement age of 60 are likely to be asked to return to frontline duties to ease a labour shortage. The authority confirmed yesterday that it would offer the staff a chance to stay on until they're 65, as it loses workers to the private sector and migration. The authority's chairman, Henry Fan, says the emphasis is on frontline roles. We would very much hope that they would continue with frontline clinical services because this is this is where we need most manpower so it is unlikely that doctors who are holding clinical management positions would continue to do so chances are those who are holding management position would switch to clinical duties frontline clinical duties as their employment terms are extended 
A spokesman for the exhibition trade has criticised the government's zero Covid strategy, calling it impossible and nonsense. Stuart Bailey, the chairman of the Hong Kong Exhibition and Convention Industry Association, says quarantine rules on international visitors means the situation for the industry is pretty dire. He said local exhibitions had been held with great success, but international trade events hadn't taken place since February 2020. He urged the government to come up with a roadmap to recovery for the industry and to adjust its venue subsidy scheme, which companies can't access if they can't hold events. If exhibitions and events are unable to be held, then you can't benefit from that scheme. So we're asking the government to look at repurposing the scheme to work out how those funds can be used. I think $640 million to the, the private exhibition industry was earmarked right at the start. And here we are almost two years in and there's only 16% of that money that's been used because people can't access it. So we're calling on the government really to look at how that scheme works and make it fit for purpose. The White House says U.S. border agents in parts of Texas will no longer ride horses after videos of officers herding Haitian migrants towards a river were widely criticised. The U.S. Special Envoy for Haiti has resigned in protest at the deportation of Haitians. A former deputy U.S. ambassador to Haiti, Vicky Huddleston, said the U.S. had a responsibility to the Haitian people. The situation in Haiti is tragic. No government to speak of assassinated president, a whole line of corrupt presidents since Duvalier was essentially put in by the United States. And the United States always seems to get it wrong, and Haiti always seems to get it wrong. The United States needs to provide protection for these Haitians and not send them back. More news on the hour from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is Jenny Lamb. Good morning, Jenny. Good morning, everyone. On today's programme, we're talking about sports facilities and later on, a new hiking trail on Cato Island. A consultancy report for the Home Affairs Bureau says that Hong Kong will be facing a shortage of sports facilities in the future based on an estimation of the population for 2026. It says the territory will be short of a number of facilities, including 49 indoor multi-purpose sports centres, three football and rugby pitches, four track and field stadiums, three outdoor tennis courts uh, to host competitions and training sessions. After our success at the Tokyo Olympics and Paralympics and the current focus on the National Games, how should we further promote sport? After 9.15, we're looking at the new Kato Heritage Trail in order to mark the 10th anniversary of the Hong Kong UNESCO Global Geopark. Get in touch with us. Uh, you can contact us on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or call us on 233 Joining us uh, for our main topic in our Admiralty studio, we have uh, Cam Manfong, who's an executive committee member of the New People's Party. And uh, on the line, uh, we have uh, David Greaves, Chief Financial Officer of uh, Hong Kong Rugby Union, and also Patrick Lau, who's a professor at the Department of Sport and Physical Education and Health at the Baptist University. Um, um, Ken Manfong, perhaps uh, if we can start with you. Um, so we had the five-year plan for uh, building sports facilities announced in the policy address in 2017. Uh, um, 
26 projects in all, I think. Um, most of them uh, are, uh, have been approved for funding by the Legislative Council. Uh, plans are in progress, but it sounds from this consultancy report that we're going to have to build a lot more. Yes, uh, thank you. Thank you for, uh, for bringing me here. Uh, I would like to share some of my experience when I was in the uh, District Council of Timun first, because uh, of, uh, you have mentioned that the, in uh, the building some more sports facilities since uh, 2017, about the five-year plan. Actually, according to our uh, Hong Kong planning and, and standard and guideline, actually, for example, for every 250,000 people, we need one uh, sport, uh, sports ground or, or you can say field and track stadium. But for example, in Timbun, uh, we have uh, around 500,000 people. So we lack of, we, but we have only one stadium in Timbun. Mm. So we lack uh, one stadium for a long, long time. So when I was in the district council, we asked the uh, department to, do, to build one more stadium as soon as possible. And my old colleagues tell me they, they have tried it for more than 10 years. And in 2018, we had a good news that oh, finally they, they planned. The CDD was responsible for this project. Finally, they have all the design and all the land uh, is ready, was ready. But unfortunately, after less than one year in the, at the beginning of 2019, they just told us, ah, we have to wait for a longer time. Because what? Because the transportation department said we lack of the parking slot. So they have to redesign the whole project because they have to add one more car park in, in the project. What I want to tell uh, from this experience that the whole government, they don't have good communication, interdepartmental communication. And they just do all the facility by projects. They don't have a blue plan to, to think about what should we do to increase or to fulfill the sports facility, to fulfill all the uh, planning standards. That's what, why we have this kind of problem, because in all the area, every, every district, they want more sports facility. But sports facilities is not the only thing that we need in the, in the, in the district. That's why it's very difficult to, to start or to fulfill, to build a new facility at this moment. Mm. That's the difficulty I think we have now is that we don't have the blueprint or the macro plan to, to, to build a new sports facility. So what is the status now of that second sports facility that you are hoping would be built? Uh, we are still waiting for, the, for mm. more uh, information because at the same place, as I mentioned, they are also the land, they need to build new uh, residential department and also for, to remove the swimming pool. That's why I said if the government always uh, to do, want to do this kind of uh, by project base, it's very difficult because in the district, there are always different kind of opinion. Or some of them, they want the sports facility. Some of them, they want to improve the transportation, for example. It's very difficult to improve the sports facility in, in the district. Yeah, uh, also uh, on the line, we have David Greaves, the Chief Financial Officer from the Hong Kong Rugby Union. Um, Mr. Greaves, um, what is the rugby community's experience in uh, shortage of facilities? Do you have a shortage of facilities? Uh, yes, we do have a, a shortage of facilities. I suppose we've been able to mitigate that to some extent through our management of Kings Park, uh, which kind of brings me on to a couple of points which I, I was going to hope to raise in, in response to, to the uh, the last points raised. That was um, one thing which you know 
when it's sort of been skirted around is actually kind of improving the utilization of current facilities rather than just building more um and one of the things that you know we think at rugby uh, is quite a good way to achieve that is actually to have the nfas themselves kind of look after and manage some of these facilities rather than it be managed at a central level um because then you've got people who are directly incentivized to promote and encourage uh, use of their own facilities they get some booking fees and they want people to participate in their own sport as much as possible and rather than have a, um, a more centrally operated facility where it's um, you know there's not really an incentive to kind of get people using it as much as possible so that's the kind of uh, model we use at king's park we're, we're very heavily utilized there um, but we do suffer from a, um, a shortage of facilities out in um, in other places where we've got many clubs uh, like Chartin Charpe, Typo District, you know, a lot of our players are in the new territory to often have to travel uh, quite a long distance to um, to actually participate in sport. So we do suffer from the challenge, but we kind of we, we kind of we commissioned a study a couple of years ago to look at uh, ways we can try and align our own strategy with the um, with the 2030 priorities of the government as well. Yeah, so the, the, the government has this an opening up school facilities for promotion of sports development scheme in which they try to encourage schools that have the grounds to uh, uh, basically rent, rent out the facilities. Uh, has, has the rugby community benefited from that and is, is that a scheme that's working? Uh, yes, we do think it's, it's working to an extent. Uh, we have managed to do that with a couple of schools uh, where I think it you know, has obviously its limitations in, in red tape, um, which makes it tricky to, to get as much access as we like. I suppose the other point of um, uh, difficulty on that as well is to actually play uh, rugby on an artificial pitch it needs to be certified as a rugby pitch so uh, that's a certain sort of safety regulation so not all schools have that and are able to afford that so it's uh, more difficult to kind of put rugby on a, a pitch for example rather than soccer. Uh, okay, um, we also have uh, Patrick Lau from the Department of Sport, Physical Education and Health at the Baptist University. Good morning to you. So where do you think we are now in terms of uh, sports facilities? Uh, I think we are doing something uh, since 2008 Beijing Games because uh, there is uh, significant changes of the sport culture after the Games. But since then, we, we are doing something, but we do have a very organized and coordinated plan under the Sports Commission. Although we have three committees under the Sports Commission, and the one we are having for the mass sports participation is uh, Community Sports Committee. But what I'm saying, this committee has uh, only consultants' role, and they don't have uh, decision-making and the resources to implement what they want to. So this is some kind of uh, disconnection between the implementation and the result that we are hoping for. Um, as we mentioned earlier, we, we had uh, um, a very, very successful Olympics, uh, a gold medal, two silvers, uh, three bronzes, and also yes. also the medals uh, in the Paralympics. Um, um, do you think now with the greater increase in sport, there's going to be a greater community demand for uh, facilities and uh, um, you know, greater emphasis uh, on the authorities to get some more construction done? Yes, it's totally right. When I just mentioned the sports commission, the three committees, actually they are not individually separate. I believe the dynamics they can produce from each other is the elite sports committee will develop the elite sports culture and the performance, like the one we have right now from the Olympic impact. And then from this impact, the community sports 
may be brought up by the sport culture. For example, right now you can see majority of schools they have a fencing fever. You know, in the schools, many students they, they try to get in the fencing team, and all the equipment they're setting out. So for the major sports events, if Hong Kong can host more international big scale and high quality uh, uh, sports competitions, that will bring up the the culture and atmosphere. So I believe the mechanics between these three committees under sports commission, they can produce even a uh, added value, which is one plus one bigger than two. In fact, I believe this is what we should have for. Yeah, so the whole point of, of this uh, talking about more facilities is obviously to encourage a sport culture. Patrick, um, at Baptist University, where you teach and I teach, I know that the students, um, they have to take uh, PE as, as uh, in year one or year two or something. Yeah. Um, some of them come to me and say, I don't believe I have to do PE at college. Now, <laughs> now isn't, isn't this a whole problem that, that in high school, or when they're younger, they're not used to spending time in sport. Isn't the point that we need to encourage sport at a younger age? Yeah, definitely, yes. But I would like to echo the, the, the um, university required PE. Right now, we are actually having a crisis. Uh, in, the, in the past, we have three universities, including CUSK, Hong Kong PU, and Hong Kong Polytechnic U. And we have uh, a required PE course before the graduation of the students. But right now, uh, Hong Kong PU has a uh, big uh, rebound and uh, change already. This is not called PE courses anymore. This is called Happy Life. And, and the students from CSK, Hong Kong PU, and the Polytechnics, um, they have a kind of uh, um, request that should not be a request, required course, because they should have the freedom to choose what they want and what they think is important. So in this case, not even talk about the, the secondary schools, sport culture, even the one we have a long history and tradition in, university, in universities, we, we are under pressure that that um, the PE required course may not exist anymore and become elective. To get back to your um, question to the secondary school sport culture, I believe actually it's better uh, uh, sport culture uh, in, in secondary schools because they have the coaching teams, they have uh, qualified, uh, qualified coaches being supported by the government. Um, the teams are more uh, conformity to the to the PE teachers, and they have a better organized competitions in the inter-school federations. So that kind of culture uh, is, is actually better than the university. But when we look at the uh, macro environment, that always we have a controversy and, and, uh, and the issues of the academic examination and the sport for life and healthy life. So this is something we have to change the value system of being a healthy person or being an examination machine. At the moment, the Confucianism in Asian countries, we're actually heading for the examination culture more than the healthy life pattern. So this is what we have to have for. Mm-hmm. Okay, a uh, message here on our Facebook. Uh, Henry writes, uh, I'm a 70-plus senior and can speak from a senior's perspective. Uh, outdoor sports facilities marked suitable for seniors include Tai Chi wheels, uh, cycles, stretches, leg press, etc. I consider them too light and not enough for cardiovascular benefits. Actually, many seni- seniors, including those in their 80s, do use outdoor facilities like assisted 
pull up, press up, chest press, lateral pull down, etc. I think those planners in the LCSD are out of touch with what seniors need. I have made suggestions to the financial secretary uh, in his ideas recommendation exercise and have to wait and see, but I don't expect much from them. They're too slow and unresponsive <laughs> and out of touch with the people. Cam <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, Manfong, yeah. um, um, in your area, I mean, do, do, do you have adequate uh, exercise facilities uh, for elderly people? I think sports facilities is um, in a shortage, not for just elderly, but for all of the Hong Kong people in different ages. Like, uh, you know, all of us know that the Hong Kong government has three direction in the sport policies. Like, the first one is to promote sports in, in communities. But uh, as from also the reports from the government that the Home Affairs Bureau that we lack of a lot of sports centers, a lot of sports facility. That's the the main direction we have to to improve because the second direction, for example, to to support the elite sport development. I think we are doing a good job. Like uh, we have good result in in the Tokyo uh, Olympics, and uh, for the uh, the third direction to develop Hong Kong as a center for the international uh, sport activities. So later on we have more um, upstanding uh, facilities like Kaitak Sports Park. We are also on the right track. But the first one uh, we we are far away from the centers because we don't have the sports facilities so we cannot uh, promote uh, sports uh, in the communities. That's the main problem because all the people said we want to uh, play badminton, we want to play basketball, we want to play a lot of sports but we don't have the place to do it. That's the problem that we, what we have and that's why we at the beginning I said we don't have the blueprint or the macro plan to how to improve the sports facility. If the government just do it uh, by project by project, say uh, we like one stadium, then we find a place to build one stadium, then we will always fall behind because people, the population of Hong Kong is always increasing. Mm. Yeah. David, David yeah, Greaves uh, from Hong, Hong Kong Rugby Union, do you, do you believe that uh, it's just a case of providing more facilities? How do you, obviously, the, the rugby community doesn't have, seem to have a problem with the youth development program. You, obviously, there's a huge culture with, you know, with the rugby sevens is, is really popular. How, how, what is a secret source to encourage that kind of sports culture that we don't see in, in, in other areas? Well, I think there's a number of angles to that, which we've, we've worked very hard on in, in the last few years. Um, and it's, it's nice to, to hear that that's, that's kind of being recognised in the, the sporting community. I mean, one of the things we've, we've kind of hung our, our hat on, if you like, is that there's multiple studies coming out of the, the US and worldwide showing that um, actually engaging in sport and physical activity does actually have a benefit to academic performance. Um, you know, there's a very uh, strong link between a healthy mind, healthy body. So we've kind of sort of tried to promote that kind of healthy, healthy lifestyle message, and that it actually does have a positive effect on on academics too, because that's something which which does appeal to to a lot of people in Hong Kong. I think um, what we've also tried to do is trying to kind of you know sort of sell the benefits of, of outdoor exercise as well. And we've actually kind of you know looking at other studies which have taken place and you know things which. You know, maybe affect children in Hong Kong that don't affect um, children elsewhere. 
So, for example, there was a study in 2016 which showed that um, actually prisoners in Hong Kong have more outside exercise time <laughs> than your average child gets in Hong Kong. So that's where, where we kind of looked at it and thought, well, that, that can't be right. That's why you're seeing, um, you know, sort of, in sort of physical ability tests in Hong Kong children, there's things that, you know, maybe shouldn't be occurring quite so early. So we've kind of taken a very kind of holistic view on that and tried to actually say, you know, these, this is a benefit to you. This will benefit not only your kind of physical well-being, but this will benefit your your kind of academics and your, your general kind of healthy attitude as well. Uh, Patrick Lau, do you know in, in, in uh, the primary and secondary schools in Hong Kong, um, let's, let's just talk about, say, government-subsidized schools. How, how many hours of sports do the uh, students do per week on average? This is depend on the school principal's decision. That's why we need to um, have a thorough discussion with the uh, organizations in primary and secondary schools. They have a very large flexibility. Basically, 5% of the outdoor PE or extracurricular activities, they will pass the standard request by the Education Bureau. But how they allocate the 5% of, of their uh, teaching and learning time is totally uh, voluntary. So this is quite um, flexible for them. So if they can put more efforts and resources to add, uh, to PE, that will be better. But if they're just doing the basic, that will not be very good. I would like to echo actually the gentleman, the senior citizen, to talk about the, the, the need of the Asian people. Because I come from the academic, <clears throat> I believe one of the major issue we need to tackle is uh, what they need, what kind of exercise facilities they're lacking. At the moment, I believe <clears throat> most of the people, they, they claim they, they want more and, and uh, the figures, the, the types of facilities. We don't have a solid data. That's why I would, I would like to propose, actually the government can conduct a survey or consultants report work with this university uh, sport departments exercise and PE departments or public health, that will produce a solid data for them to initiate any projects uh, uh, to sort out this uh, kind of lacking or needs. Um, otherwise, we always say we don't have enough, we don't have enough. I think we need solid data to start. Mm. Otherwise, it will be difficult. On the other hand, for the schools, again, the school, school sectors, uh, when you just mentioned the opening school facilities, the project actually conducted by me, initiated by the Mr. Ma Hong from the District Council. Um, I think this is a good project because we actually got the exact figure, percentage of how many schools they're actually doing this kind of uh, uh, practice with the society. So and then after the results, we got 23% of the schools, they're willing to open up. And then the CE, XP, uh, uh, CE, uh, Mr. Long Zhenjing, and uh, Carrie Lam, uh, right now the, the CE in Hong Kong, they also follow up the measures to try to encourage the school, um, try to open up more facilities. I think more, more solid data from the consultants report is needed so we can start up from a, a solid basis.
Yeah, Mr. Cam, yep. what what do you think, Mr. Lau is saying? You know, uh, we we need to we need to understand what the community is actually needs in terms of facilities instead of just putting a lot of money. Uh, just a case in point, um, you know, this is purely from my own observation. Mm -hmm. When I sometimes when I go to Kowloon Chai Park, where they mm -hmm. do have those facilities for for elderly folks to do their exercise, they're always so busy. Mm -hmm. Yet when I go to the velodrome in um, Changkwano, I mean, this facility must be multi-million dollars. Uh, it's almost always empty. So how do you justify using taxpayers' money for, for some facilities for, and, and not others? Yes, uh, of course, I agree with uh, uh, Professor Lau that we need more survey to confirm what, we, what the society really needs. But um, on the other hand, I'm also worrying about the implementation cap capability of the Hong Kong government, because right now I can show you an example. We we, we do have a, a lot of survey that uh, we a lot of Hong Kong people they do agree to build up a, a cycling trail around the new territories. Right now, what we what we have to do is to link Timun and Chinwan before to 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 make the whole cycling track uh, trail to be complete. But for a long time, there are a lot of discussion and district. Uh, uh, argumentation that argument that uh, some people in in Timbun and in Chiman they don't want that trail, so we we do have this kind of need. We do have have a lot of survey, but how the government can implement can build the facility is another problem that we need to face. Yes, David Greaves. I mean the the government. I, I'm just reading this. Uh, uh, question and answer to the Legislative Council was that um, they, the, the government said that they have what they call uh, core and non-core activities, uh, which, which, and the existing list which covers 16 core activities has not been updated since the study of leisure habits conducted in 1997. Um, my, my question to you is, is, is rugby, can, can rugby be considered a core activities? Well, how, how would you define core and non-core and how, how would you even know what the public actually wants? Oh, okay, okay, uh, David, actually before you answer that, I'm going to interrupt because we've got to take a short break uh, for the news at nine o'clock. We'll be back at three minutes past, so stay with us. As soon as we come back, we'll talk about um, uh, Jenny's uh, point that she asked there. So um, a quick look at the weather before we go to the news. Uh, mainly cloudy with a few showers and isolated thunderstorms. Uh, top temperature will be around 31 degrees, moderate to fresh easterly winds, occasionally strong offshore. The outlook, sunny intervals and a few showers during the weekend, becoming fine and very hot early to midweek next week. Currently 29 degrees, humidity 79%. for these Haitians and not send them back. You're listening to the news on RTHK. And welcome back to Back Chat with Jenny Lam and me, Jim Gould. And this morning for our main topic, we're talking about the provision of uh, sports facilities uh, with a consultancy report for the Home Affairs Bureau identifying um, quite a shortage of such facilities in a few years' time, um, including uh, 
uh, that will be lacking nearly 50 indoor multi-purpose uh, sport, sports centres uh, by the year 2026. Um, that's based uh, on population needs. Um, we have with us uh, Kam Man Fung, who's Executive Committee Member for the uh, New People's Party, David Greaves, Chief Financial Officer for Hong Kong Rugby Union, and Patrick Lau, who's a Professor at the Department of Sports, Physical Education and Health at the Baptist University. Jenny. Yeah, so uh, just before the break, we were talking about, you know, this, this uh, logical discussion um, and the Home Affairs Bureau has provided um, some fa facts on uh, facility hierarchy and they explain that uh, the, the, the way they decide uh, what activities uh, should be core or non-core and therefore how much taxpayers' money should be spent on them is based on popularity, except that this list of 16 core activities has not been updated since the study of leisure habits conducted in 1997. David Greaves, um, I don't know if rugby is one of those core activities, but, but do you think maybe there's a better way of thinking about how we should allocate taxpayers' money on facilities, on popularity? Obviously, that popularity changes as well. What, what do you think? I think that's a very important point. I think, um, you know, 1997, obviously this was just post um, the Atlanta Olympics in 1996. So probably if you uh, took a survey then, windsurfing would have been incredibly popular given <laughs> Bela Sands uh, gold medal. I have a feeling now, 24 years later, then uh, that might be, uh, might be slightly out of date despite that achievement because it was so long ago. I think if the survey was today, you might find things like fencing and swimming are much more popular due to the recent success in, in Tokyo. So... I think to actually base um, a study on data from 24 years ago is probably not the, the right approach to it if you're going to define core and non-core activities. Um, I think, you know, and combined with that, when we're actually looking at the sports facilities and provision and is there a shortage, I think the quota system in terms of uh, where things have been in terms of population has also not been updated for a very long time because uh, it doesn't actually take into account people travel between districts and play sports. So, um, I think, you know, there's probably a bit of um, uh, sort of inconsistency in some of those those numbers, some of that data, to actually kind of give what's the actually, you know, the true shortfall in sports facilities. When you combine the potential margin for error from those two points, it's uh, difficult to say kind of that there actually is a shortage and what that shortage is uh, and what sports it relates to. Yeah. Professor Lau, what do you think from the Department of Sport at Baptist University? Is, 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 is that a good way of thinking about sports facilities based on popularity? I mean, we didn't know that we were so amazing in karate and fencing until yeah, these young yeah. people showed us. Yeah, Jenny make a good point. The trend changes all the time. When we look at the data from 1997, you know, right now the youngsters and the young adults, they haven't born yet, right? So <laughs> when you look at the, the very popular sports right now, maybe dancing is very popular. And, and the kind of example is squash. Squash facilities is, is too much. Actually, not many people, they are using the squash court under the LCSD facilities. According to the data, it's less than 5% of the players using squash courts. So uh, in past 10 years, uh, the LCSD tried to uh, change the usage of the squash course, but there is some limitations of that. So my, my response to the question is that we need to divide it into two types of uh, health exercise for the, for the uh, society. One is the mainstream sports you just mentioned, for example, basketball, soccer, table tennis, and badminton. The other one is alternative sports. 
which refers to some kind of uh, um, those people they don't like the mainstream sports, especially emphasize too much on competitive elements. All right, so that will be uh, giving a uh, flexibility and options for people to choose what kind of uh, sport exercise they want to do, and then based on this kind of data, we can build up our uh, uh, facilities. At the same time, we need to have uh, population studies uh, in Hong Kong uh, Island, the New Territory, and Kowloon. Because when we look at the population structure, different districts have different population components. We need to study the components of the younger generation, the aging population, and the working population, and uh, the housewife population. Which kind of people they stay in the, the residence more uh, under Hong Kong? Um, districts. So I believe, uh, I, again, I repeatedly request more regular studies to, uh, to collect the uh, objective data and provide scientific analysis to deal with this question. It's a must. Okay, a few more emails here from readers. Uh, David writes, uh, my opinion is you have it wrong. We want outdoor sports facilities right next door to public playgrounds so the public and the elderly can make use of it so we can keep fit. You need to cancel tutorial class classes uh, centres because uh, most kids don't have time to do extra activities or are too tired. At Grassroots, this is a school education system. PE is being cut from school curriculums with other lessons. Most of us are just going to be blowing in the wind because by the time these sports centres are all finished, we will have died from construction dust or getting too old. <laughs> China, China has better facilities for old people. Go get educated from Mother China. They got it right for old people um, and uh, oh, oh this is also from David uh, we have many pieces of fenced off government land why is it so difficult to concrete them over to make a flat playing ground or grass them over we have many abandoned schools in Hong Kong but can the kids play in the playgrounds no fenced off the government is not interested in physical education only construction uh, Phil writes, uh, a lot of kids' uh, rugby activities are parent-driven. That's why junior rugby is so popular. Um, what I did uh, want to explore a little bit was um, uh, Ken Manfong mm -hmm. uh, mentioned before the break um, that um, the Kai Tak Sports Park uh, will be uh, coming on stream. In 2023, um, obviously everybody knows Hong Kong is somewhat lacking in international uh, facilities to host international sports events. So what would everybody's uh, expectation be of the new Kai Tak sports facility when it opens in 2023? Perhaps, uh, perhaps David Greaves first? Uh, yes, we're um, obviously looking forward to, uh, to having a, a brand new uh, Sevens stadium uh, and actually be able to see some other events there as well. I think for rugby, we're uh, we're quite excited what, about what we're able, going to be able to deliver there from an event perspective. I think, um, as a general kind of sports organisation as well, though, what we I think we'd like to see is um, the ability to you know attract more large events to, to Hong Kong. Obviously, the, there's limitations with the current stadium with regards to noise and things like that. But uh, I think our expectation was that we you know we can make it sort of a, a bit of a hub, and that hopefully the sevens can be part of a suite of very high-profile international events, which kind of really benefits Hong Kong as a whole. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and Patrick Lau, you excited about this prospect? Well, of course, because where we have uh, more international standard uh, sport complex, we can uh, we can host more signature events 
and in turn it will encourage and enhance the sport culture, especially the sports family concepts. You just mentioned the parent driven for the rugby seven, uh, the, the junior rugby success. I believe uh, the parents, if they have a sport um, culture traditions when they were young, that will help a lot for the youngsters to be uh, in the sports. Yeah. And Kaman Fong, from New People's Party, your expectation of the new uh, high-tech facilities? Yes, of course, uh, I'm excited. Because I'm also the executive committee member of the Hong Kong Gymnastics Association. For a long time, we don't have a up-to-standard uh, stadium to hold an international gymnastics game. So Kaitak Sports Park is uh, one of the chance. And also, I'm promoting parkour. In Hong Kong, actually, we are already uh, contacting Kaita Sports Park, and we hope that there will be a permanent parkour park will be there in in inside the Kaita Sports Park. Mm -hmm. mm, that's interesting. It, it, isn't parkour a sort of like a that, that's a kind of urban activity, like jumping yes. off, jumping over walls and buildings and things like <laughs> yeah, that? Yeah, actually, <laughs> that is the, the the urban activities. But uh, in 2018, the International Olympic Committee already put uh, parkour under under the uh, governance of uh, uh, FIG Federation International of Gymnastics. So actually, parkour now uh, is also uh, under the governance of uh, Hong Kong. Gymnastic Association, and we want to promote parkour in Hong Kong, but with, of course, more a safety guideline. Um, yeah, that's interesting because, uh, as as we all know, um, uh, skateboarding uh, is a new Olympic event, mm. and and I know one one young lad who's who's a super skateboarder, and then he he explained that that is not the point of skateboarding. You know, skateboarding mm -hmm. is an urban activity like parkour. Um, you, you know, David Hargreaves, this 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 is uh, the the whole thing about culture and mm -hmm. and sports. Like, you really ha need to have the freedom for people to 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 choose their sports rather than decide decide it for them. Um, can you explain again? You know, in in rugby, uh, why is it so successful, and and why is it not so successful in in other areas? How how do you match? The, the, the need for a culture, a need for facilities, and um, just participation. Well, I think the, um, the listener's uh, comment about uh, the, being parent-driven is, uh, is certainly very true. We do have a, a fantastic army of uh, volunteers across all levels of, uh, of rugby, uh, right from the, sort of the youngest age groups up to our, our kind of age grade sort of programme. So that's, uh, I'd certainly like to echo that comment, um, it, and it would be difficult for an NSA such as ours to really administer it with administer the sport without that support. I think in terms of driving the culture, I think you know we're, we're very much, uh, I think there's a big difference between team sports and uh, individual sports as well. I think when people come along to a, a team game such as rugby, you know, there's obviously different positions and different uh, body types in different parts of the, of the field and different um, you know, different players that excel in different areas. So you know, no matter kind of what um, what your ability, there's there's something for you to do on the rugby pitch, and we, we get a lot of positive responses um, in terms of kids joining because their friends have joined, uh, because they've kind of seen it at school. So it's a really case that I think there's a difference between individual and team sports in that regard, while why people join, but kind of you know being with their friends and that that kind of you know friendship bond that they kind of go up through the grades together with their with their peers is a very important part of why why people stay in rugby. Um, Patrick Lau, um, have you seen uh, an interest 
an increased interest from the public for swimming? I mean, I'm thinking of the, the, the two silver medals in the Olympics for Siobhan Hockey in uh, freestyle. Um, and, and do we have enough you know, Olympic-sized swimming pools for people to train? Size uh, swimming pool for the public to to get into swimming um, uh, activities. What we need is more uh, qualified coaching and uh, more completed programs, and start up from the schools because uh, some of the parents they still still scared about the water accident. So I believe the, the safety measures in schools and the public public swimming swimming pools is more important than to have uh, international standard Olympic pool. At, at the same time, I believe to enjoy and give them a kind of exploration taste of the new sports exercise is more important than emphasize too much on, on the mainstream historical traditional sport, which is too much competition. Mm-hmm. Um, are there enough? I mean, if we want to make sure that uh, all children are able to swim or have access to swimming lessons, um, I mean, do we have enough facilities? Do, do schools have enough facilities? Are, are the public facilities adequate? Um, according to the uh, LCSD, we have uh, at least two swimming pools in one district. Uh, um, Hong Kong has 18 districts. So this is quite okay. In average, we are better than the overseas countries. But um, I believe right now the school swimming class is concerning more about the, the safety, the insurance when they bring their students outside the, the, the school to the swimming pool. So when, when we consider the elements of uh, swimming training or other exercise sports training, um, the, the schools have different consideration, different concerns, like the insurance, as I just mentioned, they have a heavy concern of that. So the, the swimming pool uh, need to take care about the insurance and the lifeguard uh, duties. Um, also, the insurance package, could the government uh, support it? because the school will not be able to support it. Uh, uh, that's, that's, my, uh, that's my thinking. Okay, well, uh, thank you all uh, very much. Uh, interesting discussion this morning on sports facilities. Uh, thanks to uh, Patrick Lau, who you heard just there, who's a professor at the Department of Sport, Physical Education and Health at the Baptist University. Thanks to uh, Kam Man Fong, uh, Executive Committee Member of the New People's Party. And thank you to David Greaves, uh, Chief Financial Officer of the Hong Kong Rugby Union. Um, And for the last uh, 10 minutes or so of this morning's programme, we want to turn our attention to kind of a related topic, and that is uh, a new hiking trail. Uh, Well, it's not exactly uh, a new trail, but it's a newly designated heritage trail um, on the island of Kato in the northeast New Territories. And uh, now this is... um, It's been designated in conjunction with the uh, the 10th anniversary of the Hong Kong Geopark. Um, it's designed to uh, give the public a better understanding of the, the history of the island, its uh, culture and intangible cultural heritage, okay? Offering an in-depth travel experience to visitors, according to the AFCD publicity. Uh, We're joined uh, on the line now by Martin Williams, um, author of the 25 Best Day Walks in Hong Kong. Uh, Good morning to you. Good morning. Hi. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Um, So, um, are you familiar with this trail on Kato? Um, Only only slightly. I've only been to Kato 
maybe three times. Mm. As you perhaps know, it, it's it's a it's a remote place and made all the remoter by by having very little transport to it. So it's a pretty challenging place to get to. I think. Mm-hmm. I guess that meant to many to many uh, listeners maybe think Cato knows that. Even you call it Crooked Island, I think, another name for that's, it. That's right, yeah. Still, um, yeah. still, still not a very well-known place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Martin, I was looking at the, the website for this new heritage walk in, in Crooked Island, and, and it's, it's, it's actually pretty good. When you go on the website, you can they, they have these uh, sort of stopping points, or they call them panels. There's some restaurants, some are about trees, and they have a, a little thing that you can click on that it comes in English and Chinese with some of the villagers explaining the features on this uh, along this heritage walk. Um, you wrote... 25 best day walks in Hong Kong. Does that define one of the best, or how would you define what is a good day walk? Well, I think if you're on a day walk, I think you're going to want to be going something either get easy to get to and then a couple of hours walk, or if you're going to go as far as that, I think you need to go somewhere much longer, like, like the hike along, alongside the coast there from, say, Wukau Tang, to the, to the coast of Double Haven, which kind of almost overlooked Cato. So I don't think it would fit in that. I think this would be part of an outing, really. Maybe it's, they say, maybe two hours. I think you might be pushing it to spend as long as two hours on this. And if you're going to go that far by boat, by the little ferry, or however on earth you manage to get yourself there, then then I think that you'd want to go and see somewhere else like Lai Chi Wo across the way or may- maybe to one of the other islands. There's a, a really fabulous beach on one of the close-by islands um, of, of Double Haven and see Double Haven itself. I think going all that distance to see some something like, um, you know, a, a noodle shop and, <laughs> and various places like this, because I, I skimmed through the website, is is not, you know, I don't think that's going to be a, a huge big deal. And I think if that's the best they can do for the 10th anniversary of the Geopark, and hopefully it isn't, hopefully there's a lot more with the 10th anniversary because the Geopark is really about rocks and geology and, and a supervolcano, one of the one of the planet's few known supervolcanoes, relatively few. Um, and, and, th- and then to have this, a, a distant trail with, with, with drops like this is, well, it's kind of a letdown if that if that's all they've managed. But hopefully, as I say, that there's a lot more, and I just just not aware of it. Yeah. Well, what 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 do you th- think can be better done? I mean, the geopark out in Clearwater Bay and Saikong is is not easily accessible either. I mean, you know, you need a boat. Well, I mean, I mean, th- there was a problem right from the beginning. There is a minibus service now. The, probably the best place in the geopark. So sorry, I've jumped off that trail now. Probably the best place to see the rocks of that that volcano near the east end of High Island uh, Reservoir. But sadly, that's really a long way to hike, or else you get a taxi, or there's now a minibus service, but after a lot of... There was a relatively amount of promotion, and then I lately read about it, and it seems that the only times you can go there in the late afternoon... Yeah, yeah, but Martin, if if it's not, if, not, not useful. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, the, all, all these places are, are are part of the you know great outdoors. If it's, if it's full of people, then you know every day, then then they would kind of lose some of the charm, wouldn't they? What, what are you going to do about it? I mean, if you're going to promote a geopark and and you and you have where where people find it hard to get to. 
I think that's difficult. I'm not sure about, you know, is it, are you really going there for charm? And some of it, you, it's just inaccessible cliffs. You can view them. And that is part of how to plan a geopark and plan the country parks is so that people can maybe walk trails, go to places, have a look from a viewpoint, have a look, you know, get something to drink, have something to eat, but without really obscuring the view and things. This, 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 there's a way to do it with balance. And right now, well, I mean, you'll know, with, especially with COVID, uh, SARS before got a lot of people in the countryside. Now we're all locked inside Hong Kong, effectively. So a lot of people are going out in the countryside. And, yeah, there are, there are full trails. But that is partly, I, I think it's partly the ACG job to try and help um, create new trails and more, more expansive and bigger picture than, than this one and help, helping people to get to places and, and helping do something with where the crowds go. But I, I would be for, for more people. I, I, I find it frustrating wanting to get to the east end of High Island, or as I'm sure others do, and nearby to get to Dan or Wan and, and things like this. But there's a lot of people, and there's, there's boats going, there's people hiking, there's, there's this and that. And the geopark spans, what, about seven or eight different sites? So... Some of it's remote. That very best place, I think, is pretty remote. But some of it is closer and more easily accessible. Mm. But yeah. a lot of these things were known when the geopark was established. So they could have been more sorted out. They could have been better transport. I've argued for cycling along High Island Reservoir, along, along the South Road there. I think it would make a fabulous cycleway to hire a bicycle at one end, be able to ride along to that dam, ride back again. But the government's against that, but instead puts a minibus on, saying that as though a minibus is safer than, than, than cycling and reducing the number of taxis. So I, I don't think it's been very well thought out, um, a, a lot of it for the geopark, sadly. There are some fabulous areas in it, but I'm trying to get there. And as I say, this, that not even really mentioned the geology of Cato when I looked at it, there's a sort of small, Fisher apparently where there was an eruption on the east of the island so it's kind of a rough and ready island partly because of volcanic formation not not the super volcano but different eruptions but that i didn't see even mentioned and yet you can get to a viewpoint and look at that kind of thing there wasn't mention of the surroundings there wasn't mention of of other things it's just a little encapsulated thing with some cartoony uh, pictures, you know, hopefully it will please the villagers who in some places haven't always been happy with the geopark because some of it led to restrictions on restaurants, things like this. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't quite know. You know how great it is. It's just a small thing far away. Yeah. Um, looking at the, the 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 press release on the the Kato Heritage Trail, it says uh, visitors may visit an old Chinese restaurant and grocery store on Kato Main Street to learn about the past prosperity of the island. A walk past old banyan trees where villagers used to take a rest is featured, while a former pig farm, terraces, an outdoor cinema, and a school visitors may gain a view of the lifestyle of uh, the villagers in the old days um I, you, I mean you can kind of see that kind of thing in a lot of other places can't you um you know, i think to, yeah that, that, that's a lot of my point so why you would go this wouldn't i don't think attract people to go all that far and part of the prosperity i believe was from smuggling so and maybe even recently i remember going there not that long ago you know some years ago and seeing what looked like these die phase boats on the shore that have got two or three huge, really fast motors 
that regular fishermen surely wouldn't need. And you're just across from Chateaucourt, you're just across the border, you know, you just go about 300 metres or whatever, and you're into Chinese waters. So I think that smuggling was big in the past, but it, of course it's a dodgy thing to, to say, but the idea that people just had old restaurants and did a bit of gentle farming and built themselves a granite bridge... Um, isn't the full picture. Yeah, you know, the real interest of it is kind of almost missed in this, you know, mm. volcanoes, smugglers, mm. the, the beauty, the, the immense natural beauty of Double Haven. Yeah. That's a, a glorious place to be in. Yeah. It's, you know, even the vantage, it doesn't say, look at this, you know, you're admiring one of the greatest scenes in Hong Kong from one of the hilltops on, on Kato. It's almost like that's been... Yeah. been missed out. Someone yeah. just, just got this job of intangible heritage and has gone at it. And this is a geopark. This is about rocks. Yeah. I mean, it could, <laughs> could make a nice day out for the family. I mean, it's a, I think it's about an hour's ferry ride from uh, Ma Liu Soi, near the Chinese university. And then, uh, and then when, you, when you mention a, a two-hour a two-hour walk along the trail, I think that's a leisurely two hours. I mean, I, yes, I, it I, is. Yeah, yeah. But um, how many ferries are there? I'm aware of one on a, a weekend. I don't know about yeah. more. Yeah, I think ninety um, minutes one way. Yeah. Ninety minutes well. one way. Okay. And and how and, and if it's once 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 or twice a week, I think. And if you turn up at Marliu Soi and all the tickets have gone, you know, if it, if it's full, I, I've ridden it to to Lychee World, but I'm mm. not sure how convenient it is to get off at Kato. Hopefully, that's been sorted out by the geopark. But I don't think there's that many uh, boats going out there. Yeah. So to get your own boat is, of course, a very expensive thing. Yeah. And I think it's also possible to go from Chateaucourt, but you need then permission. And I've done it once, the boat from Chateaucourt, because the guy organising it to Lychee well, did fix it. And then you just get on a speedboat and it's much, much faster. But uh, you need to get into the frontier closed area to, to, mm. to access that transport. OK, well, well, I hope one of these days I hope to get out to Cato. Um, but, well, I hope, uh, you and, I hope you go and see it. I mean, it's, 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 the, the area itself is it's just fantastic yeah. if you haven't been to Double A. I've been, I've been, I've been, yeah. to, I've been to Tatmun before, so I kind of know the area a bit. No, Tatmun is just... No, it's a... A few levels down, really, okay. on, 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 okay. on how good Double okay. Haven is. I okay. Think. Well, more exploring to do. Thanks very much for joining us on the program this morning, Thank you. Uh, Martin Williams, there, who's uh, author of the twenty-five best day walks uh, in Hong Kong. Um, uh, just before we say goodbye, um, a couple more emails here relating to our main topic, which is about. Uh, the spirit of uh, sports facilities. Uh, so um, Akil writes, um, after our success at the Tokyo Olympics, how should we further promote sport? Um, uh, hi, Bakcha. I think there are three major concerns when it comes to promoting sports in Hong Kong. They are, one, lack of major local sports events, e.g. district competitions like the Hong Kong Premier League. Two, lack of community involvement, e.g. we don't get to see large crowds to watch these games. Three, lack of media coverage of local games. My solution is simple. Create local Olympic-style sports uh, uh, events where districts compete, the public is given free access to those events and the major events are shown on TV. I'm sure that those measures will get the local communities uh, pumped up to support their district teams. Thanks, Akil. I think, Akil, there are um, some uh, district games um, 
um, due to take place uh, fairly soon. But um, thanks very much for your comment anyway. Um, David says, uh, if you go to some housing estates, they have concrete table tennis tables. So this is excellent for loosening up and integration of young and old. The old people and the young, once people are loosened up, uh, by then they will be more ambitious to do other energetic sports. Uh, thank you to uh, everybody who uh, wrote in. Thank you to all our listeners. Thanks very much to you, Jenny, this morning. Thank you very much. And before we go to the news summary and morning brew, a uh, quick look at the weather again. Uh, mainly cloudy with a few showers and isolated thunderstorms. Tom temperature around 31 degrees. The outlook, sunny intervals and a few showers during the weekend, becoming fine and very hot early to midweek next week. Currently it's 30 degrees, humidity 79%. The thunderstorm warning is in effect and will remain in effect until 11.30 today. In the digital world, your account login and personal information are just like the keys to your home. Accessing your bank account via an unknown Wi-Fi or a public computer is like giving away your home keys. And stolen account and personal information can be used by others. Always protect your digital keys. Change your password regularly. Keep your personal digital keys safe. The above information is provided by the Hong Kong Monetary Authority. And now the new summary with Todd Harding. A spokesman for the exhibition trade has criticised the government's zero-COVID strategy, saying quarantine rules on international visitors means the situation for the industry is pretty dire. Stuart Bailey, the chairman of the Hong Kong Exhibition and Convention Industry Association, said there have been no international trade events since February 2020. The hospital authority says managers who want to keep working beyond the usual retirement age of 60 are likely to be asked to return to frontline duties to ease a labour shortage. The authority confirmed yesterday that it would offer staff the chance to stay on until they're 65 as it loses workers to the private sector and migration. And a U.S. congressional committee investigating the riot at the Capitol building earlier this year has issued its first round of subpoenas. Among those summoned to appear are former President Trump, Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and the political strategist Steve Bannon. I'll have those stories and more at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Hello. How are you? You're not too bad at all. Good morning. You never Facebook chat with me, Phil. Good morning. He's got the Tom and Jerry type violence. It's a great experience if you just want to get a bit of zing. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning to you. Welcome to Friday here on The Morning Brew. Well, recently we have seen the rebirth of Central Market. The building we knew was built in 1939 as one of very similar Bauhaus, all trendy 1930s buildings we can see all across Hong Kong. So after several years resting, the building has now been repurposed, gentrified, modernised, tweaked, whatever you want to call it, and of course it's open again. This process is called placemaking. Now, as you might know, Singapore is brilliant at this. And to explain this process of placemaking in more detail, 10.40 today, joined on the line from Singapore by an expert in the field, Jackie Cheng, from the architecture company called Jerd. After 11, it is, of course, sports and all with Danny Hicks. Today, we've got Ryder Cup, F1 and footy. And 
11.40, the fifth and final part of Music of My Life with James Ross and the legendary manager Miles Copeland. For one last time, Miles chooses the music and tells a bit more of his story. And after 12, of course, it's Marshy movie time. Our tame critic, James Marsh, to give you the best and worst of film.